Welcome in to 20th and Blake here on the Mile High Sports Podcast Network. I, of course, am your host, Drew Creaseman. Always excited to be talking Colorado Rockies baseball with you. And boy, are they into just torturing you all out there right now. <laughs> yeah. i sorry, sometimes you have to laugh. Uh, after a very re- remarkable 4-3 and three road trip that, quite frankly, was a couple of key plays away from being a 6-1 and one California road trip, Rockies are playing much better baseball. I'm going to get deeper into this in a second, but we have to start. We have to start with the end of last night's game and the fact that, uh, the fact, <laughs> well, well, right now, the fact that this team just cannot win in extras. Uh, they're inventing new ways to lose extra inning baseball games. And I've had a couple of people hit me up and say, and they're 100% right, by the way, that you know what the, the easiest solution is to this is just score more runs than the other team in in regulation, right? But what we've seen now, even going back to the last home series with Atlanta, is that really for for this stretch, since May ended, the Rockies have been playing good baseball, good enough baseball to beat any team who's across from them. Whether it's Atlanta, uh, the, the San Francisco, San Diego, whomever. Right, is the opposite of where they were before, where they couldn't beat Pittsburgh or Washington. Now, they're playing in such a way that they're in a position to win just about every game that they're playing. There was that one nine nothing loss on the road trip. That was the only game that wasn't close. Right, everything else has been completely within their grasp. And now this is the third time in ten days that they have lost a game in extras, and not because the other team hit a big walk-off home run. Obviously, at Coors Field, they weren't going to hit a big walk-off. In either San Francisco or San Diego, they could have. But you get it, right? There was no ball over the wall or ball in the gap. The other team didn't go on some big rally. Uh, it's it's all been these errors and these mistakes and these little plays that are not going the Rockies' way, a lot of times because of their own, uh, their own bad play, right? <clears throat> and here we had... Uh, just a montage of them in this one. Like the number of things that had to go wrong for the Rockies to lose this game by one run in extras is brutal, right? You begin with, uh, and I've said this before, how I, I just don't love the way that there's so much pressure put on the home team right away with the California rule. You put the runner out there at second, and then something like exactly what happened happens, and now you're really behind the eight ball because hard hit ball, but but not scorched. Scorched took a really tough hop on C.J. Crone. I still think he probably could have, should have, would have come up with that ball, and, and more often than not, he will. It was a really strange hop, though, right? It That was the fluke part of it, that a bit of a skip on him really came up, and, and when it's in the face area, that makes it that much harder. Look, everybody's a human being. If you've never had a, <laughs> you know, a hundred mile an hour skipping ground ball come up toward your face, then then you don't necessarily get to tell CJ Crone how he should have reacted to that, right? At the same time, just given the, the trajectory of the baseball, the fact that it was on the ground and the fact that the defender was there, more often than not, not only are you going to field that ball for the out, the runner's not going to have time to get to third. And then that's the biggest part of this whole California rule, right? Is not letting the runner advance in the first at bat. Not only does he advance, but because the the ball skips by CJ, he comes all the way in and scores. Now, the Rockies would not allow any more runs, which was huge there 
to be able to finish out that inning without giving up any more, despite the fact that they had a run score and already another guy on base uh, before you've barely even gotten started, right? So, you know, Robert Stevenson, and it got iffy there for a second. He lost his command. He walked a couple of guys, which was uncomfortable, but he got out of it and gave the Rockies the opportunity to answer by, at the very least, all you've got to do is bring in that California runner, right? You don't even necessarily need a base hit to at the very least send this game to the 11th inning. Painstakingly, though, the Rockies do get their base hit. Now, a little bit of in-between luck here for both clubs because Jonathan Daza, similarly to what had happened in the top half of the inning, hits hard sinking line drive right in the direction of a fielder, but he hit it so hard it ate him up, right? Rockies catch a break there because it does end up going down as a fielding error. And if that's fielded cleanly, then a lot of the rest of the conversation that that we're going to have here is, is totally irrelevant, right? But it wasn't. So the Rockies catch a break that the ball wasn't fielded cleanly. But of course, the the downside of it was just the way that it, it was in the air and it was a sinking liner that didn't hit the dirt until right before it got to second base. Charlie... Is who was who started? You all know where this is going. Who, who started the inning on second? You know, has to see the ball get down because he can't run into that double play. Uh, but when the when the ball skipped by him, I figured he was going to be able to score, and I didn't realize how hard he'd been going back into second. And so that one was a little bit tough. But you understand he had to be going back to the bag. You have to make one hundred percent sure there that ball isn't caught in the air. And so you can't get too frustrated for him not scoring on the single. But it in again, it's it, it's pretty bad luck that if you hit a single to right field with the runner at second, that you don't end up scoring on that play, right? So you've got runners at first and third, nobody out. And then Charlie Blackman made a very, very, very rare mental mistake. This was strange. Uh, I, I've, I haven't seen him do something quite like this. Now, look, the, the error he made in San Francisco... That's a physical error. It can happen to anybody. Now, it's happened to Charlie a few more times this year. We've talked about his declining defense before coming into the season, even. And, and him needing to sport, spend more time at, at DH and all that stuff remains 100% true, right? What was so strange to me about this is that Charlie almost never makes mental errors, almost always at least makes the right decision, even if you know, his body in one way or another lets him down on the execution of that decision. And this was just the opposite of that. Uh, Brendan Rogers hits a weak little, basically a swinging bunt out in front of the plate back to the mound. And with nobody out, the contact play isn't on. You you don't put the contact play, in other words, you're, you're running home on contact in that situation. First and third, nobody out, right? That's got to get by the mound. And Charlie knows that. He's a bit overly aggressive, maybe because of the fact that so many of these things haven't gone the Rockies' way lately. He's trying to force the issue. I could think of a number of reasons why in a split second he just decided maybe he thought Brandon got a little bit more of it and it was rolling up the third base line and he was, you know, it wasn't going to go right to the pitcher. It could have just been a bad read, right? But you got to freeze on that play because if Charlie doesn't move, if he doesn't move a muscle, the reliever that was class A, right, is going to pick up the ball. There's no time to go to second. Daza's standing on second. 
And in fact, it might even be kind of a tough play at first, depending on how quickly Rogers is getting up the line. The only play he's going to have is to make the out at first base. And then you've got second and third, one out. And C.J. Crone coming up to the plate. And you've got to like your chances in that situation to at the very least get the run in on a ground ball, a sack fly, right? But a base hit could win you the ball game at that point. And instead, Charlie ends up running into the out at home. Despite getting in, now I will say here's another thing that, that didn't go the Rockies' way in this one. Charlie ended up getting in a rundown for a little bit, and Daza and Rogers didn't manage to move up to second and third, which would have more or less undone his mistake, right, if they could have figured that out. And Cleveland even dropped the baseball at one point. Um, so it's just the number of things that had to go wrong, because I think there was time for it. And that, that's an old move I remember from Little League. I used to be the guy, because I, I had all kinds of speed and stuff, who would get in a rundown on purpose so that the other guys could advance bases, right? Because you're not going to throw away. They have to get Charlie out. They're not going to let him run home. So Daza's got to be sprinting to third there because they're not going to throw to third. And Chuck is out. There's no chance he's going to get safe back at third there. So Daza and Rogers also with a slight mistake, maybe. That's tougher timing. You know, you don't want to run into the very last out of the game either and turn that into an entire cluster F, right? You need you need Crone to get a chance here. And then, of course, just the brutal reality of it all comes down. First and second one out, that means a ground ball to second base rather than tying the game ends it on a double play. Literally the exact same swing, exact same result of a ground ball to second, if Charlie had just not moved, would have... Now, they, they, they might have brought the infield in, in which case that ground ball would have absolutely destroyed who was standing there. And in fact, it might have gotten past him and won the ball game. Right? There's a chance, I guess, that second and third one out, Crone hits that hard grounder right at the pulled-in infield, and the Rockies are still... But you got to give them that, that, that chance. So it's a bad base running error on Charlie Blackman, for sure. And, you know, I sent out a tweet that said, hey, that probably cost him the game, and I saw a couple people saying, hey, it's a rare one where Charlie Blackman cost him the game. Now, let's do remember, he did hit the, the two-run jack off of Shane Bieber in order to get the game tied in the seventh inning to begin with. He's the one that sent it into extras. Let's let's at least give him credit for that and, and, and recognition of that. But it was strange, folks. It, it was really, really odd. And like I said, everything from the, the crone misplay to the fact that the, the ball on Daza's hit didn't skip away a little more, that Charlie couldn't score on that one, to uh, all the things that went wrong on that base running play, all of it. Just all of it added up to another one of these losses where, <laughs> again, how do you even, you know, there's, there's not like your standard baseball analysis for it. Like, I'm not sitting here, you know, saying, oh, why did the pitcher choose this pitch instead of that pitch? Or was the defense aligned properly or any of those kinds of things, right? It was just, you end up losing the game because probably your best decision maker made a bad decision. And that's, Yeah. Absolutely brutal. Stuff like that's been happening a ton for the Rockies as of late. You wonder on some level to what extent it is related to preparation, but you also have to wonder to some level to what extent it's just kind of become a mental thing and it's a little bit random that they just, again, it's not that they're just losing in extras. It's one thing to lose on a well-placed base hit or a ball in the gap 
or even a ball over the wall. Uh, this stuff is just painstakingly brutal to watch. And yeah, we'll see what happens next. Let's let's talk about the flip side of it, though, for a little bit here. Because the Rockies are playing much, much better baseball. I got a text from my mother last night. She She has a way of summarizing these things beautifully. And she basically just said, like, yeah, okay, now they're playing how they're supposed to, but have they dug themselves in too big of a hole? And I'm sure that's the question a lot of you are asking yourselves out there. And and it's one I don't you know, have the answer to. They dug themselves a hole in May. That's what they did. They just created a problem for themselves that they didn't necessarily need extra problems to overcome, right? And by doing that, they do make it harder to appreciate something like a 4-3 California road trip, which in any other year would have been a godsend, right? In 2017 or 2018, when they were competitive, competitive, and still couldn't win in California, you'd have given a sacrifice to the gods for a 4-3 California road trip, right? And then to come home, and I was ready to tip my cap in this one. Look, Shane Bieber has been one of the best pitchers in baseball for several years running, and he pitched a phenomenal game. And sometimes you just got to go, hey, that's what the great ones look like. You tip your cap, go out and win the series because you can't pitch every game. But they got him. Chuck got him. They, they tied it up. They were in the position to do it. And again, it was just like the entire road trip. They're right there. And I wrote it. On, I wrote about it on milehighsports.com. And it continues to be the same thing. The pitching. The pitching. The pitching. Yes, they didn't win the baseball game. But if Antonio Sensatella and the rest of the groups for the last week or so continue to pitch like he did last night. Six innings, three earned runs, one walk, four strikeouts. Quality start. I'm going to keep making that. I know some people are going to be tired of it. Some people are going to love it as a meme, but that's the, that's the thing. Give this team a quality start. You're not going to win every single one of those games. They, should have figured out a way to win this one just because the odds were against them with Bieber on the hill and uh, with the Guardians getting a couple of runs early. You thought, ah, 3-1 loss to a to a good pitcher. But they absolutely had it within their grasp because the offense has been battling. Because the offense has been better than they've been for the last several years. Are they... Again, are they paragons of the National League? No. But they've been quite a bit better. So when the pitching holds up, and the bullpen has been on a nice little run here as well, you get those quality starts. You get a clean inning from Chassin. A clean inning, well, he gave up a hit, but a clean inning from Colome otherwise. Bard got into a little bit of trouble there. In the ninth, with a couple of pretty unlucky base hits, but he was able to work out of it. He's been phenomenal this season. He's he's almost certainly got to be an all-star if he keeps it up. And Robert Stevenson, who, as we talked about, you know, had that weird, funky inning and walked a couple of guys and did give up that first hit and, 
and all of that. But he's been quite a bit better lately, too, and was able to prevent that inning from turning into a, a complete and epic disaster, right? So this is the formula, and this is the, you know, it's obviously unfortunate that it hasn't led to more wins over the last week to 10, 15 days here, but it's been consistent. And, you know, it's funny, this this may seem like a small thing to debate over, but we were having this discussion in my Discord channel the other day about, like, the watchability of these games, right? And it, this is definitely coming from, like, a position of privilege of, you know, a, an analyst, a, a reporter, somebody who watches 162 games every single season, and I've been doing this for 10 years now. And and so some of these, you know, when when it's a 13-7 to 7 loss, I just... I have a hard time watching that. Unless there really is great offense going on, but a lot of times those games are there's a lot of walks, there's you know some bad defense, these innings that go on for a half hour or 45 minutes and you know there's been a lot of unwatchable baseball from the Rockies this year, which I really wasn't expecting. The defense being bad, games where the starter goes out and he's out of there in the 4th and he's given up 5 runs, that, you know, that is painful to watch. And over the last however many days, I'd have to double check that it went back through Atlanta. But for the last couple weeks now, they're playing consistently watchable, <laughs> fundamental baseball. Now, the defense is still killing me. I hate seeing defensive mistakes. And we've been very spoiled, by the way, in the Rockies community over the last 10 years or so. Because the, the teams have generally been tremendous defensively. And this one just isn't. And it's very, very frustrating to watch. But to get back to my mother's question of can, if they pitch like this, can they pull themselves out of the hole? The answer to that question is yes. It's just going to take some time. You don't go on a 7 to nothing run or a 10-0, you know, 10 wins in a row just on quality starts because you are going to run into Shane Bieber having a great night and a couple of bounces that don't go your way. But if they can play slightly above average, above 500 baseball, which is what they'll be if they continue to get their quality starts, then yes, the record will recover, but it won't recover for a month or two. And then where are you, right? So it's going to be interesting to see. I'm not ready to dive into buyer-seller's conversation yet. I think it's still a little bit early for all of that. Um, But it, it will be interesting to see how the Rockies handle that in this sort of transitional year where they are, you know, trying to compete and telling themselves and everybody else that they intended to uh, be a pretty good baseball team and recognizing the fact that they might not quite be there yet. And some of these guys that they have on, you know, single season contracts who are performing well right now might be able to net them something positive in the future. Just off the top of my mind, I'm thinking guys like Colome, Jose Iglesias. Um, but we'll get into that conversation deeper into the future. There are a few other things that I wanted to, to discuss on uh, the docket just because they're sort of topics of conversation uh, for the day. One is that I, I wanted to, just because they're in town and, and I've been saying it and I've been hearing other people uh, you know, sometimes having difficulty with it. I just want to applaud uh, the city of Cleveland, the Cleveland Gar- Guardians organization and Major League Baseball for the name change. Uh, you know, it's, it's something I asked about yesterday and not too many people really wanted to 
talk about it. And I understand because it, it can seem like a, a controversial thing to, to some people, I guess. But uh, those of you regular listeners of mine have probably noticed that, you know, I ne- never used to say the team name. I would always say Cleveland. I don't say the team name for the Atlanta ball club. I call them Atlanta. And, you know, and, and I understand that everybody has their, their own decisions to make or whatever. But I, I just wanted to say it this way because they're in town and, and I've been thinking about it. Um, and once the change has been made and you see all the new merch and all this cool stuff that they get to do. And and I just couldn't stop, help, help myself but stop and think, you know, and, and what was lost? You know, because uh, I hear sometimes people talk about well, this has been the name of the team for a hundred years, and it's uh, you know it's a tradition, and and it's this out of the other. It's a it's a team name. It's a name of a sports team. There are lots of things in this world that are very real, right? And look, the the Colorado Rockies are the only hometown baseball team that I have ever known, right? But if tomorrow they announced they will no longer be called the Colorado Rockies, they will now be called the Denver Blue Skies. I don't know. I just made that up, right? I'd be annoyed on a number of levels. One, I like that the the team is about a state and a region and not just a city. I think that's a big part of Colorado's identity. I think the Rockies are a perfect name. you got the, the, the mountain. The, the whole thing fits. All the purple, all that stuff. Blue Skies is a terrible name. You know what I mean? I just made it up. <laughs> like, I don't think that's a thing. Uh, right? But... I don't know. I guess just standing there in the dugout and asking Bud Black the questions and seeing people around and, and watching all the people with the Guardian stuff and the, the broadcasters come over and recognizing that nothing of value was lost. I guess is my point, right? Sometimes we make these big like debates and controversies over things and just kind of looking at it and it's just like, yeah, anyone who wants to still have all that old merchandise because that's what they like fine uh do what you want but right it's like there were people who felt disrespected by the old name now nobody feels disrespected and everybody gets to move on with their day because at the end of the day it doesn't matter what the name of the team is you know what i mean like i don't know so maybe that's an oversimplification but i I wanted to comment on that just with them around because uh, I just noticed of yeah, it, it just seems like everything is uh, going just fine for the Guardians. And, uh, you know, people have been like, I, I got to learn how to say a new name. Like, if that's the worst thing to come out of all of this, then I think we're going to be okay. Um, and one last thing that I, w- I want to talk about, uh, just because I saw a report running around out there uh, about some of these former pitchers. This happens every year every couple of years somebody who used to play for the Rockies is having a good season and a reporter will go out and talk to that person and they will praise all of their current coaches and then the story will break that the current coaches fixed this player and the Rockies coaches are all a bunch of idiots um now a couple things (laughs) are the Dodgers coaches analytics team and general front office, way better at developing talent than the Rockies? Yep. You know who else they're way better at developing talent than? Everybody else. So yeah, if you're if you're going to compare yourselves to the Dodgers, you're not going to look good. In addition, of course, any Rockies pitcher who leaves is likely to experience better raw numbers 
Coors Field's the toughest place in the world to pitch, and there are a lot of guys who beat themselves when they come here. And quite frankly, some of the people who've been named in reports recently talking about you know, how much better other pitching staffs are, one, that's probably totally true, but two, these are people I watched mentally give up on trying to conquer the Coors Field equation, right? So, of course, somebody who's moved on and is in a new situation and is feeling good and doing well is going to praise their new situation. This exact same thing happened when Mike Talkman had half of a hot season for the Yankees and people went, oh, Yankees knew how to figure out this guy and the Rockies never did. No, no, no. Turned out he just had half a hot season. The same thing happened with DJ LeMahieu. Oh, man. This guy's an MVP candidate because of the Yankees coaches. They unlocked this hidden potential in him that nobody else knew. Like, no, they moved him to a different ballpark where I, I did the full study on this. Literally, there is zero evidence, absolutely none, that anything that the Yankees coaches did with DJ LeMahieu changed his output. Now, this is a little bit different with the Dodgers and their pitching staff because you can measure how much better guys like Tyler Anderson and Jake McGee have been. But there just simply is no measure for that mental element of getting them away from the mental block, right? And so uh, it's just always funny to me. I sent out this tweet today. It's like when a guy is here, everything is Coors Field. Pitcher, hitter, coach, doesn't matter. Everything is Coors Field, especially if you're doing something well. And then the second you leave, they totally forget that that was ever a factor. All of a sudden... It's like, wow, this guy's pitching better. I wonder if it's because he got away from the most difficult environment in all of baseball to pitch. And, (laughs) you know, and it's not like Tyler Anderson left the Rockies last year, right? The guy's been trying to figure it out for years. Also, Tyler Anderson was good for the Rockies. (laughs) Do people not forget that he started the NLDS in in 2018? He was fantastic down the stretch for that team and was instrumental in getting them to 91 wins, their second biggest win total in franchise history. That's the other thing that's hilarious to me is it's like Tyler Anderson had health issues. Tyler Anderson had some Coors Field issues. And he moved on and... Several other teams in baseball took chances on him and didn't do particularly well with him either. So that he's having a nice season with the Dodgers right now is definitely a credit to him and the Dodgers coaching staff and all of that. But to use it as a dunk on the Rockies is just to miss so much context that that I think it's actually quite funny. Again, it's like you can blame other people for your shortcomings in a place, but, you know, (laughs) again, I I think some of these guys just need to be a little bit more honest with themselves about the fact that, hey, look, not everyone can pitch here. Not everyone can conquer Coors Field. In fact, most people can't. But when we turn around and say, well, the reason is because the Rockies just don't have anyone who understands pitching and don't even bring up the fact that it's, higher degree of difficulty by orders of magnitude when we don't even bring up the fact that actually guys like Jake McGee and Tyler Anderson did have really good seasons in Colorado under that pitching staff and under that guys and that at the end of the day every single pitcher is responsible for the pitches that they throw 
and the mental attitude that they take into the game. Let me put it this way. A bit harshly, and I don't just mean it of these current players, this has never been... Again, I want to see the equal and opposite reaction to all the Coors stuff with Larry Walker taking 10 years to get in the Hall of Fame and Todd Helton still not there, right? The equal and opposite reaction to all of that is to say this. Some guys can't cut it here. Some pitchers can't make it at Coors Field because they're not strong enough. And no amount of pitching coaching is going to fix that. You got to get the right guys in here. And that is a scouting and, and GM and front office thing of not knowing. But it's the toughest place in the world to pitch. And comments like these just show me that much more, not how terrible the Rockies are at X, Y, and Z, but rather how much more credit we need to give when these pitchers do remarkable things, like Kyle Freeland in 17, like Ubaldo Jimenez in 2010, like Aaron Cook and Jorge De La Rosa's entire careers. But instead of recontextualizing all this information to say, look at these guys who did manage to pitch well elsewhere, but just could not cut it here. There's a long list of them. It's not just Mike Hampton, Denny Nagel, and apparently now Jake McGee and Tyler Anderson. Just keep the energy in all the proper directions is all I'm saying. Let's see if the Rockies can come out here and get this series now against the Cleveland Guardians, whose name I can now say again, and I'm very happy and excited about that. They're going to send Austin Gomber to the hill in Game 2, and Chad Cool looking to rebound from his rough outing, really the only bad start the Rockies had on the road trip uh, for Game 3. Obviously, we'll continue to keep our eyes on all of that stuff, but the big thing for me is going to continue to be quality starts and can the bullpen keep it together especially in the absence of tyler kinley as the team waits to hear hopefully some good news on that so thank you all for listening in to this episode of 20th and blake here on the mile high sports podcast network make sure you're checking out all the other podcasts on the network all the written content at milehighsports.com you're following me on twitter at drew creaseman and otherwise just continuing to be absolutely awesome out there you know that i will continue to be absolutely drew creaseman in here and until next time i will see you Oh.